you're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the Book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Uh, Well, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3. I'm excited as we uh, head into the fall season uh, for Daily Thunder, we're going to be walking through uh, the rest of Ephesians chapter 3, so totally excited. Uh, but this morning, I want to look at Ephesians chapter 3, specifically verse 8, uh, with you and just kind of uh, <clears throat> keep walking through this passage. Uh, what I'd like to do uh, is read <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 down through 13, uh, which is the major, major section of what Paul is dealing with uh, that we're in the middle of. And uh, so, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 uh, down through verse 13. Uh, This is what Paul says. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship or the administration of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I have wrote briefly already. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not made known to the, to, to the mankind, as it was now being revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7, Of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, get this, the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to become discouraged about my tribulations on your behalf, since they are your glory. What an incredible passage. Uh, It's all about the mystery and the eternal purpose and the richness of Jesus. Uh, Look back at verse 8. That's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. Paul says again, to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. I really love what Paul's doing here in the passage. Uh, Paul is talking of himself humbly, but he's talking of Christ highly. That he, as he looks at himself, he says, Do you know who I am? I am the least of all the saints. That as I look out, I am, I'm at the very bottom, which actually is an encouragement, maybe. Uh, Paul, I, I know when we read our Bibles, uh, I think of Paul, I think Paul. Don't you? It's like, wow, to be like Paul. And yet Paul is looking at himself in light of Jesus. And he says, hey, look, I was the one that persecuted the church. Here, here I was. That, hey, I, I am. Uh, let me give you a few passages. As he says in uh, 1 Timothy 1.15, He says, this is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost. 
Isn't it interesting that in light of Jesus, we actually have no one up on each other? That actually in the light of Jesus, I cannot look at you and go, wow, you are so beneath me. That in the reality of Jesus, I have to say, you know what? I am at the bottom of the barrel. And I think that's an encouragement. Because we're all there together. (sighs) Okay, good morning. But I love this idea. Do you realize that Paul actually saw himself as amongst the chief of the apostles? I mean, he saw himself with the apostles. Uh, In fact, if you wanted to read it, 2 Corinthians 11, 5 and 6, he's talking about this idea that, that he is on the same plane as the other apostles. But it's interesting, in light of that, though that may be true, he says, in light of Jesus, I'm, I am the least of the saints. Wouldn't it be amazing in our own lives if we saw ourselves in light of Jesus? That we, we weren't comparing ourselves to the people around us. We only compared ourselves to Jesus. And when you compare yourself to Jesus, the only conclusion I think we can rightly give is, I'm unworthy. And so I love what Paul's doing, even in the very beginning of this passage, he, again, he's talking of himself rather humbly, and in doing so, it's because he's seen Christ highly. But in the, in the midst of this, <clears throat> he says this, this grace was given to preach or proclaim. It's actually this idea of to enunciate or to proclaim the gospel. And so he's, I'm say, he's saying, I am preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, that, that God has given me this overwhelming grace and privilege to declare something. What is it that he's declaring? Well, that's what I want to focus on this morning. Because the whole thunder of his message, the whole essence of his heart, the whole delight of his being, as he says in verse 8, is the unsearchable, the indescribable, the unfathomable riches of Christ. It's like Paul says there's only one topic worthy to even be preached about. Uh, I don't know if you've listened to other preachers, but uh, it is interesting as I, as I listen to modern preaching, we are preaching on a whole bunch of garbly gook. Paul says there's actually only one thing that is worthy to be preached on. Do you know what it is? You'll never guess. Just kidding. Do you know what the one thing that's worthy to be preached of? Jesus and Jesus alone. I love, I love reading some of Spurgeon's sermons, and, and of course, we've gone through this several times around here, but isn't it interesting that Spurgeon had the idea that every single message had to point to Jesus? And if it didn't point to Jesus, why spend any time preaching it? So if you're going to talk on money, fine, you can talk on money, but that money better point you to Jesus. Because why would we want to talk about money if, it, if it's not focused on Jesus? Why would we want to sing a single song if it's not focused on Jesus? Why, why would we want to have a meditation this morning that's not focused on Jesus? Why wouldn't we just want to delight ourselves in the richness of Jesus? And Paul says, do you know what I'm preaching? I am preaching one thing. I am declaring one thing. Or as he says in 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, oh, by the way, I'm going to give you a ton of scriptures. So I apologize in the front end. I wouldn't even worry about looking any of these up. I would just, just, just sit and enjoy them. Does it make sense? Because I got a long list. And I purposely did not do them on Keynote because it was going to be a long list. And I didn't want to have to do the Keynote. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> so just, just sit and enjoy the Word of God this morning. Okay? Uh, but 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, 
Paul says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, the one thing I actually want to delight myself in, the one thing I just want to know, the one thing I just want to ponder all throughout the day is Jesus and him crucified. Hey, what is the one thing I'm going to be preaching? What is the one thing I'm going to be singing about? What is the one thing that's going to come out of my lips? Jesus. Is that true in your life? Because you are proclaiming something to the world around you. Hey, the world is listening to your life. And as they listen to your life, wouldn't it be phenomenal if the one anthem that they heard coming out of your life constantly was just Jesus, 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 Jesus. Paul says that I am proclaiming the unfathomable riches of Christ. Uh, That word unfathomable or unsearchable in some translations, uh, it means, it's an adjective, right? It's describing the riches, but it means this. It means inscrutable, not a great word that none of us know what it means. Uh, Inscrutable, incomprehensible, unsearchable, impossible to understand or comprehend. Uh, The word actually is this idea of to track something down. Uh, So here's Dan McConaughey. He's going to go hunting, right? So he has has a gun or a slingshot, right? (laughs) Bubble gum, whatever it is that he uses, right? And he, he sees some tracks on the ground. And so what does he do? He follows them out and he's tracing the steps of the animal, This is that idea, but the prefix on it says it's impossible to actually do it. So even for Dan McConaughey, where nothing is impossible, (laughs) as far as we know, you realize that according to Paul, even Dan Dan McConaughey could not actually trace this out. That the well of this is so deep. That, that, that it is so bottomless, that this thing is so amazing, this thing is so rich, that you'll never be able to fully grab a hold of it. If you want to see this in the positive, in other words, if you actually want to see how this is used in Scripture in the sense of it actually being traced out, I'll give you one passage, Luke 1.3. Luke is writing, he's starting his gospel, and he says, he's writing to Theophilus, and he says, it seemed fitting for me having investigated, that's the word, Uh, investigated or traced out or searched out everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in a consecutive order. So he says, hey, what am I doing? I'm following the clues. I'm following this path, and I'm, I'm writing out the gospel for you. So Paul uses that same concept and says it's impossible. That, hey, there's, there's no way this is going to take place. In fact, this idea, the, the idea gives is it is marked by being impossible to plot, to travel, or trace the end of. Therefore, the idea is incomprehensible. Uh, one scholar said this about this word, uh, unfathomable. He says, the word can be translated untraceable, which means that they are so vast you cannot discover their end. not beautiful? That in the light of the riches of Christ, that you will never plumb the depths of the riches of Christ. You will never come to the depth of that well. You will never be able to fully grasp and understand. It is so big and it is so immense that when you get into the richness of who Jesus is and the riches that he he offers you, do you realize that there is no limit to it? That's phenomenal. You should tell your faces. Isn't that good news? Because he is saying, I am proclaiming one thing. What is it? 
this indescribable, incomprehensible, phenomenal reality of who Jesus is. Uh, This word only shows up one other time in the New Testament. It shows up four times, sorry, three times in the Old Testament, all of which are in the book of Job. Which I know you guys have read recently. Uh, in Job, let me give you those three, just because these are amazing. Uh, Job 5.9, speaking about God, it says, Who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number? Do you know who our God is? Our God does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. Or Job 9.10, God does great things, unfathomable and wondrous works without number. Isn't that a true statement? So again, it's used in Job in the sense of like, wow, God, we just, we cannot grasp the fullness of who you are and all that you are doing. Again, it shows up only two times in the New Testament. The only time other than our passage where it shows up is in Romans eleven thirty three. And, and listen, this is, is at the end of uh, Paul's declaration of, of Romans 11. He's coming to this big thunderous benediction, doxology, declaration statement. And he says, oh, the depths and the riches of, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable are his ways. Amen. Do you know who our God is? Our God is immense. And Paul, in the context of our passage, is saying, do you realize that the riches of which I'm speaking of Jesus, these things truly are unfathomable. So here's the question. What then are the unfathomable riches of Christ? Have you ever pondered them? Have you ever pondered what are these incredible realities that we have in Jesus? Obviously not, because you're looking at me. I, I thought it would be interesting, because the way Paul even says this, he says, the unfathomable or the unsearchable riches of Christ. I looked at the word riches, just and yeah, there's times where it's used in the sense of wealth. Uh, it shows up 20 times in the New Testament. But 14 times, this word does not refer to like money or possessions. It is referring to things that we have in Christ. 14 of the 22 times. And what's really interesting is the root idea of the word riches is this idea to furnish, to fulfill, or accomplish. So when we're talking about the riches, what are the riches doing? They're fulfilling something. They're filling up something. They're accomplishing something. They are our riches. They're providing something. They're satisfying something. So, again, I'm going to give you a ton of scriptures. So I just enjoy these. Okay. Let me just give you, I'm not going to read all 14, but I'm going to give you a selection of these of where this word riches shows up in the New Testament, but is associated with something that we get from Jesus. Does it make sense? So listen to this. In Romans 2, 4, it says, Or do we think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Do you know what one of the riches of Jesus is? His kindness, tolerance, and patience. That he is patient with us. That he is kind toward us. Why? To lead us to repentance. Isn't that amazing? Sorry, I'm going to get excited, but try to stay seated yourselves. Uh, Romans 9.23, 
He did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. That there are these riches of his glory upon us, his his vessels of of mercy. Romans 11.33, oh, the depth of the riches. I just read this. But oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So his wisdom and knowledge is contained in this idea of the riches. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, get this, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their generosity. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he just lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Ephesians 2.7, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, get this, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Are you getting all these? Isn't this incredible? Hello? Philippians 4.19, my God, get this, shall supply all, do you know what the word all in Greek means, by the way? It means all. That my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1.27. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Well, what are the riches of his glory? What is this mystery? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Colossians chapter 2 verses 1 and 3. By the way, if you want a list of all these scriptures, I can get them to you later if that's helpful. Some of you are racing. I'm like, whoa. Just enjoy. I can get you a list. Uh, Colossians 2, 1 through 3. Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love. Now, listen to the play on words here. Paul says, Uh, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures, the riches of wisdom and knowledge. Not beautiful? 1 Timothy 6.17. Again, there's this fun play on words with this word riches. And he uses a couple different words for riches, but listen to this. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. That's our word. Well, what are they supposed to fix their gaze on? What is their hope supposed to be fixed upon? On God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. It's a fun play on words in the whole riches thing there. Uh, Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26. By faith, speaking about Moses, listen to this. Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God 
than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin and considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than even the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What was Moses' reward that he was looking toward? He did not care about the riches of Egypt. What he wanted was the riches found in Christ, even his reproach. It's beautiful. Uh, Revelation 5, 11 and 12. <clears throat> John records, he says, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, listen, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He is the only one worthy, folks. Why? Because he himself is the riches. Do you understand that as we're talking about the riches that we have in Christ Jesus, we are not talking money. Sorry. Uh, we're not talking possessions. We're not talking buildings. We're talking about a person. It's not possessions. It's a person. Do you know what the riches of Jesus are? Himself. That he is the content of the riches. In fact, you start to see this all over Scripture. I'm going to give you a whole bunch more passages. Because I love this meditation. You just start to hear it all over the place. And you're just like, it's him. It's him. It's him. Are you getting this? Oh, please stay seated. 2 Corinthians 11.3. Paul says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by the craftiness, by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Do you realize that the reality of what we have is supposed to be this simple purity of devotion, which is focused on one thing, Jesus? That we're not getting wrapped up in a Jesus plus something. It's Jesus. That if you're going to summarize Christianity in one word, it's Jesus. That Jesus is the fullness of Christianity. It's not even activities. It's not doing the right thing. Because you can do the right thing, die, and still go to hell. So we're not, we're not talking about activities. though. Those are, I mean, we're not downplaying that. Those things are important. Hey, you need to obey. You need to walk in truth. That's true. But when you get to the heart of Christianity, the heart of Christianity is Jesus. When you get to the heart of the riches, the heart of the riches is Jesus. That the whole tone, the flow of the, of the word of God is all about Jesus. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, 2 through 3. Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you realize it's in him where the treasure is found? Colossians 1.27, I read it earlier, but to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is all about him, folks. I love 2 Peter 1. Uh, and I'd read the whole 2 Peter 1 if I had time. But 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4, listen to this. One of my favorite scriptures in the New Testament. His divine power has granted to us everything. By the way, do you know what the word everything in Greek means? Everything. His divine power has given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. What do you need outside of those two things? 
What do you need outside of life and godliness? Yeah, I can't think of anything either. Do you realize that all things that we need for life and for godliness is found in one single place? Jesus. And then it goes on. This is amazing to me. So his, his divine power has given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Isn't that true? So that by them you could become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And don't ask me how this fully works, but somehow we get to share in his life that we get to partake of his divine nature, that we don't become divine. In other words, you don't become God. Praise the Lord. (laughs) You don't become God, and yet it's like he's cracking himself open and he's sharing his life with us. And everything that you need is found in him. Oh, I love that passage. My other favorite one is Romans eleven thirty six. And if you want a great summary of the entire Bible, I think Romans eleven thirty six could do it. For from him and through him and to him are all things for his praise and glory. Amen. What is your life supposed to be about? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. What's your marriage supposed to be? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. What's, what's, what's your work Life's supposed to be from him, through him, to him. What's your ministry? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. Hey, why are you here on this planet? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. Do you realize this whole thing is about one person? And the richness that we have is him. That he is the treasure itself. Amen. Thank you. Uh, If you were following the Ephesians study earlier, uh, when we were in chapter 1 of Ephesians, it, it's interesting. There's this blessing section in Ephesians 1, verse 3 down to verse 14, where Paul is just uh, recounting these incredible blessings. I mean, blessing after blessing after blessing that you have as a believer. And it's interesting that every single blessing God has for you, every single one of them, is found in Jesus. It's not, I get Jesus plus a blessing. Jesus is the blessing. Well, how am I redeemed? Jesus. How am I forgiven? Jesus. Well, what's my inheritance? Jesus. Well, what's my adoption? Jesus. I mean, all this is all focused, centered, and fulfilled in Jesus. So, hey, if I need something from God, does not, God does not give me a pill. And I've given the cheesy illustration, but I go to God and say, God, I really need some love. And God goes, oh, I got some of that in my back storehouse. So he goes out and grabs this container called love and brings that and gives you a pill. And you're like, oh, praise the Lord, I got love. (laughs) That's not how it works, folks. And the problem with that idea is that as soon as you leave, you realize you didn't need love. You actually needed peace. So you run back to God and say, God, I actually need peace. Can I have some peace? And he goes, well, I got a jar of that too. Here's here's a pill of peace. Oh, finally. And so you leave, and then you, oh, actually, I need joy. So you come back, and oh, here's another pill. I need patience. Now, God, I need patience. And, and, and God's, oh, I got a pill for that too. And God doesn't give you pills. Do you know what he gives you? Jesus. And when you have Jesus, he becomes your love, and he becomes your peace, and he becomes your joy, and he becomes your patience. In fact, when you look at the fruits of the Spirit, do you realize these are the fruits of the Spirit? Which doesn't mean, oh, well, your, your life needs to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. 
You're right. So I'm going to grip my teeth and pull this thing off. And I'm going to try to produce love. Good luck. That's not how love is produced. How is love produced? By embracing the one who is love. And when he, the one who is love, gets smack dab in the middle of your life, do you know what's going to start coming out of your life? A fruit of love. Hey, when, when you embrace the one who in him is the fullness of joy at his right hand, are pleasures forevermore, Psalm 16, 11, do you realize that I don't go to him to find some joy? He is the joy itself. He is the Prince of Peace. He is all that you need for life and godliness. So when I come to God, I think this is so brilliant. When I come to God, he doesn't give me something. He gives me someone. And what is amazing is that if I think I need love when I really needed peace, do you realize that his provision gives me both of those things? Because it's himself. So everything that God has for you is centered on Jesus. If you say, God, I need this, he goes, oh, I got exactly what you need. Jesus. Why? Because he's everything. He's all that you need. So I came to scripture this week and I said, you know what? It'd be kind of fun if I would just start to ponder these incredible riches of Jesus, of like what, if, if Jesus is the content, if he is the fullness of the riches, what, are, what, what is it that he gives us? What is it that he becomes in our life? I mean, I understand the fruit of the Spirit ones, right? He's, he's our love, he's our joy, he's our peace, he's our patience, he's our kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. That, hey, that's true, that makes sense. But you realize that as you step back in Scripture and start pondering, it just keeps going on and on and on. And so I have a list, I don't know, it's probably a list of 30, 40 things. This is not a comprehensive list. This was just trying to get as much stuff out as quick as possible. And if you want the list, with the scripture references, I will give them to you. I'm not going to give you the scriptures. I'll just read the list. Is that okay? So don't worry about writing these down. You don't have time. Just enjoy. In light of this idea of Paul saying, do you know what I'm proclaiming in your life? Do you know what I'm screaming down in your mind? Do you know what I'm just hitting you over the head with a two by four? The unfathomable riches of Christ. Well, what are those? What is it that I get in Jesus? You ready for this list? Oh, so good. And again, if you want the scripture references, uh, I can get those to you later. But he is our love. He is our truth. He is our life. He is our atonement. He is our salvation. He is our propitiation. He is our redemption. He purges our conscience. He is our peace. He is our reconciliation. He is our righteousness. He overcomes and destroys death and the devil. He is our sanctification. He is our healer. He is our boldness and courage. He is our dwelling place. He is our advocate. He is our wisdom. He is our triumph. He is our holiness and purity. He is our blessing. He is our joy. He is our goal, our aim, our race, and our prize. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is our perfection. He is our clothing. He is our rock, our fortress, our shield, our protector, and our high tower. He is our foundation and our cornerstone. He is our head and our authority. He is our holy calling. He is our promise. He is our circumcision. He is the lover of our soul. He is our altar, our sacrifice, and our high priest. He is the upholder of all things. He is our shepherd. He is our daily manna. He is our light. He is our strength. 
He is our forerunner and first fruits. He is our mediator. He is our intercessor. He is our gift. He is our leader, our commander, our ruler, and our governor. He is our deliverer. He is our judge. He is our portion, our maker, our bridegroom, and our husband. He is our well-beloved. He is our hope. He is our brother. He is our helper. He is our refiner. He is our example. He is our teacher. He is our keeper. He is our restorer. He is our resting place. He is our king. He is our Christ, our Messiah. He is our Lord. He is our all in all. He is our Jesus. Isn't that phenomenal? And I I know that's not a comprehensive list because I did not have time. But even just that list, doesn't it just make you go, wow. Are you living in that reality? Are you actually living in that fullness? Are you living in light of the unfathomable riches of Christ in your life? I think for far too many of us, we are paupers in our faith. It's like we nod our heads and we, we do the church thing and we go, yeah, that's, that's all good. And we, you know, we, you know, we do the refrigerator magnet thing and we just, we know the quotes, but are we living in the reality of the unsearchable, unfathomable, indescribable riches of Christ where it is Jesus ever, Jesus only, and Jesus always? Does that actually summarize your life? I, it's interesting, as, as I'm looking at this list and, and this reality of the unfathomable riches of Christ, do you realize it's like the more I get to know Jesus and the depth of the riches, the more incomprehensible it becomes? Like the more I try to search it out, the more I follow the path in, this, in, in the riches, the more I realize there's a greater depth and beauty in it. Uh, it's a cheesy illustration, but uh, C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia series. Um, I know that there's a mixed review on whether, whether that's good or bad. But there's this beautiful imagery where Aslan, who is symbolic of Jesus, uh, Lucy comes back after she'd been gone for a season, and she comes back, and she looks at Aslan, and she goes, Aslan, you've grown. And he goes, no, my child, you have grown. Isn't that a profound thought? That it's like the more we grow and the more we understand and the, the greater depths we explore in Jesus, it's like the more he grows and the more he expands, the more we realize he actually gets bigger. That there's actually no way for us to fully comprehend. It becomes more incomprehensible. It becomes more unfathomable. It becomes more rich the more I get to know him. Isn't that a true statement, Sandy? I mean, I look at, and I, I know I'm the one preaching, but... It's interesting. I look at Sandy's life, and it's just like over the 10, 15 years, whatever it is, I've known the McConaughey's. It's like every time I hear Sandy talk, she's like, it's bigger. He's getting better. And I'm like, slow down. I'm trying to catch up. You know? It's just Dan starts to speak, and I'm like, boy, you just found a, you know, this huge chasm in the ocean. I'm like, how are you swimming down there? I'm like, well, he's Dan. He can hold his breath. But... <laughs> But, but do you realize that one of the realities of the riches of Christ is that the, the, the more you get to know Jesus and the, the more rich he becomes in your life, the richer he actually becomes and the bigger he becomes and that there's this incomprehensible idea. There, there's this beautiful idea that, it, that truth be told when we're talking about the riches of Christ, it truly is indescribable. Which is why I love the fact that he uses a superlative. The unfathomable, 
It's being used in one sense as a superlative. If you don't know what a superlative is, superlative is some of my favorite words. They're the words that in one sense are probably unnecessary, but they add a lot. Uh, For example, that was amazing. Amazing would be a superlative. You know, so when you have like a really good meal, you're like, that meal was tubular. (laughs) Right? And it is fun how based on the era that you live, right, our superlatives change. Uh, For example, I think it was like in the the 70s, right? It was like tubular and that kind of thing. And then the 80s, it became rad. Like, dude, that's so radical, right? In the 90s, it was the bomb, which I think is hilarious. Uh, it was the bomb, and then it became bad. Dude, that is so bad. You mean horrible? No, like good, you know? Uh, and, you know, as, as you follow the superlatives through, right? Uh, the 80s, I think it was in the 80s, bodacious was, was big. I like that one. Dude, that's totally bodacious, you know? Uh, here's a list if you wanted some good ones. I collect, I collect superlatives. I have a whole long list. I, 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 I shortened my list because I couldn't read 100 of them. But, but here, here, are some, here are some doozies, which is also a superlative. Uh, amazing, astounding, awesome, bodacious, breathtaking, brilliant, delightful, epic, extraordinary, phantasmagorical. That's a good one. Gnarly, illustrious, incredible, marvelous, matchless, phenomenal, prodigious, remarkable, sensational, snazzy, staggering, stunning, stupendous, sublime, Tremendous, wondrous. Do you realize all those words describe the riches of Jesus? It's, it's, and so in one sense, what Paul's doing is he's talking about the fact that his riches, you, you can't trace this thing out. You can't fully comprehend it. In fact, the more you comprehend it, the less you actually comprehend. And I love the fact that he's using a superlative to emphasize this idea that it is truly indescribable. That these riches that we have in Jesus is is so off the charts. It is so just, whoa. I mean, how do you begin to talk about these things? It's indescribable. And I love the fact that it's also inexhaustible. Do you realize that people have been living in and experiencing and grabbing a hold of the riches of Christ for 2,000 years, and yet we still have not reached the end of them? That there's still more. Which means... You can grab it. It's not like one left, final chance. See, it's not like, this is not like one of those stores that, you know, they're running out of stock. So you better come quick, last chance. See, there's, none of that's in this passage. It's, this thing is so inexhaustible that, that hey, for 2,000 years, we have been living and experiencing the richness of Christ and still have not found its depths. And do you realize, I think that's going to be true for eternity that in 10 billion gazillion years from now, that we will still have only hit the very tippity top of the shaved ice on the tippity top of the iceberg of all that there is of God. Isn't that an incredible thought? Why? Because this thing truly is unfathomable. It's unsearchable. It's incomprehensible. It's inexhaustible. It's just wow, indescribable. Uh, I forgot to ask Dan this morning. Do you remember, what was Solomon's personal wealth worth? It's like a trillion dollars, three trillion dollars. Do you remember? Three point, Solomon's personal, not, not the worth of Israel. Solomon, King Solomon's personal worth 
was $3.2 trillion in today's currency, right? Isn't that astronomical? Do you realize that that was, yes, that was possessions and that was material, but I think it's a picture of something. Wouldn't it be phenomenal if we had access to the exact same amount of riches spiritually in Christ Jesus? In fact, the riches that we have in Christ Jesus would make Solomon look like a pauper. Why? Because there is no depth to this. So all that being said, what do we do with this? Can I give you four ideas or four ways to respond to the unfathomable riches of Christ? So in light of the fact that that Paul is saying, here I am, the least of all the saints, I am proclaiming this incredible message. What's the message, Paul? Jesus. And the message of Jesus is this, there's this unfathomable richness of his life. So what do we do with it? Let me give you four quick ideas. Number one is the idea of the pursuit. What if you go after this? What if rather than just esteeming the riches of Christ, what if your goal was to actually experience the riches of Christ? That it wasn't just a head knowledge. It wasn't just information. What if you would actually let it grab a hold of you and change your life? Because this is all about him. And what if you would determine for the rest of your life that you're going to give yourself, yes, you got to, please have a job. Because someone has to pay the ties. You know? So, hey, don't, 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 don't stop your work. We need you to work. I need you to work, you know. So, hey, this is not like don't work. There's none of that in the past. It's just, but what if, what if you would give yourself to one singular thing? Yes, I understand you have families. You've got marriages. You've got lies. You've got hobbies. I get all that. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But what if in the middle of your life, there was one tenor, there was one main pursuit of your soul. What is it? Jesus. Because it's all about him. I love Matthew 13. Uh, Jesus has given this incredible parallel about finding a treasure. Think about this in light of what we're just talking about. He says in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and he hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Did you hear that? Here's this man. He's, he's going through a field. He sees this indescribable treasure. He goes, I need that treasure. So he hides it in the field, covers it up so no one can find it. Goes and says, hey, I'll make you a great deal on the field. Can I buy that field? Why? Because I know what is in the field. Do you know what this is all pointing to? Jesus. Do you know what the kingdom of heaven is all about? Jesus. Would you experience his life? Would you get tight with Jesus? Would you give your life in a pursuit to him? And if that didn't make sense to you, Jesus goes on with the next parable. And he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Do you realize that Jesus is, is worth giving your life up for? That even if you expended your life and gave up all, all that you have in terms of everything, your wealth, your time, your energy, he would be worth it. And even if you gave up all of your time and all of your resource and all of your money and just, I mean, everything in your life and you traded it in on Jesus, you would still be getting the better end of the deal. 
because he's a treasure. So number one is this idea of the pursuit. Hey, how how are we going to properly respond to the unfathomable riches of Christ? Go after it. Pursue him. Uh, Number two, not just the pursuit, but the posture. Again, I find it interesting in the flow of this thing that Paul speaks so highly of Christ and yet so humbly of himself. And I think that is a reality that when we actually see Jesus high and lifted up, we, like Isaiah, respond, Woe is me, for I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Do you realize that when you see Jesus high and lifted up, you suddenly realize that all the goodness in my life is not me. It's never been about my talent. It's not been about my wisdom. It's not been about my resource. It's not been about my anything. It's been all about him. And that when I see him truly high and lifted up, I must take the posture of humility, that I must see myself low. Which, by the way, you don't have to force. That when he shows up in your life, you will get low. I I love the fact that these angels would show up in the Old Testament and an, an angel, we're not even talking God, an angel would show up and people would face plant. And of course the angel's like, no, 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 get up. Because you, you, you do not worship me. You, do not, you don't bow before me. We bow before the Lord. If people had almost like an uncontrollable desire to face plant in front of an angel, how much more Jesus? Wouldn't it be amazing as we got into his word and we saw the incredible richness of his life, that it just created not only an awe and a greater pursuit of him, because this is all about him, but I began to realize this is not at all about me. And as such, I was willing to stoop. And I was saying, Jesus, oh, take me lower, if that means you get to go higher. Uh, Paul in Philippians 3 he recounts his pedigree, his resume, and he's talking about all the stuff that he used to brag and boast about. And he says, in light of Jesus, do you realize that I would take everything that I would boast and brag about and throw it away? Listen to what he says. He says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That I am willing, as he says in verse 7, to call all things rubbish. Dog dunk is a literal translation. In view of just knowing Jesus, that I am just, I want Jesus so badly, I'm going to count everything in my life as loss for the sake of having him. Is that true in you? Has that become not just esteemed in your life, has that become reality? Where he said, all for Jesus, I surrender everything. So we have the pursuit We have the posture. Number three, we have the praise. I don't know about you, but as you're listing these kind of lists and you're pondering the the reality of Jesus, doesn't it just just make you just want to scream praise and adoration to our king? I mean, we use this illustration around here all the time, but it's that sunset principle, right? Where if you see this majestic sunset, you, you can't even help it. You just go, whoa. You know what that's called? Worship. It's praise. It's just in the midst of beholding, you just, there's something that just bubbles up within you and just escapes out of your lips. And it's just, wow. 
could it be that Jesus wants to be high and lifted up in your life every moment of every day so that your life truly was a life of worship? Which doesn't mean you have to sing. But your life is to be a praise anthem unto the King of kings and Lord of lords every moment of every single day. Could it be that Jesus wants to be so big in your life that you begin to realize and experience the riches of his life to such a degree that you just couldn't help yourself. You would just have to, wow, whoa, Jesus, you're so good. Man, I love you, Jesus. Oh, this is so phenomenal. Just, oh. I mean, why would we ever have a, how could we live in depression if we had a reality of Jesus like that in our lives? I'm not saying you won't have a down day. But you realize that in light of Jesus, wouldn't we just, you'd be skipping around everywhere, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you just be bouncing all over the place? Because you're just like, wow, wow, wow. Tigger had to have been a Christian. <laughs> we have no textual evidence of that. Piglet, I don't think he was. <laughs> Why? Because we're not to live in anxiety and worry and trepidation. Eeyore desperately needs Jesus. But Tigger seems like he just was, you know, he just, he always had a bounce. Wouldn't it be neat if that was your life? Not Tigger, but the reality of Jesus. Why? Because you just kept him in the forefront of your life. And when you saw him high and lifted up, you just, you just couldn't help yourself. That in the midst of your pursuit, your posture was low, and you just couldn't help but praise. Uh, lastly, number four is the idea of the proclamation. Do you realize Paul could not contain himself from proclaiming that message? I think even if he wanted to, which he didn't want to, but even if he wanted to, he would not have been able to hold this in because there is a volcano reality with the life of Jesus. That when the life of Jesus gets inside of you, this thing just starts boiling up within you and it explodes out of you. Is that true in your life? Have you been willing to proclaim the richness of the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ? Not because you know it intellectually, but because you've experienced it in your life. Because I'm convinced that if we would truly experience the life and the love and the riches of Jesus, we just couldn't help ourselves. When you look at the early church, one of the things that just dumbfounds me is that they just lived. And yes, they prayed for boldness, and yes, they asked for courage, but as they were just going down to their jobs and they were just living their life, this thing would just bubble out of their lives, and the, the world turned upside down. I love Acts 17, verse 6. They grab this guy by the name of Jason, drag him in, and the accusation on Jason's life is he's one of those guys that turned the world upside down, which actually means he was turning it right side up. Wouldn't it be neat if you were accused of that? And it's not because you disciplined yourself, though you probably need some discipline. It's not because you trained yourself in the four spiritual laws. It's not because you, all right, we're going to have gospel preaching night on Wednesday nights. It's not a program, folks. It's a person. And if we would embrace the person, I think the proclamation would take care of itself. The praise, you wouldn't be able to contain yourself. I want to close with this. Uh, I was reading a thing from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a preacher uh, back in the 1900s. And uh, 
Doesn't that sound like forever ago? The 1900s. Some of you were born in the 1900s. <laughs> but anyway, Dean Martin Lloyd-Jones was this preacher in, in, in England, and he was talking about this passage. And I love, I love what he says. I just, I just want to end with this. Just ponder this concept of the richness of Jesus. He says this, God forbid that any of us live like paupers. God forbid that any of us should be in need and want and trouble and alarm and unsteadiness. The world today is presenting us with a unique opportunity of telling men and women the unsearchable riches of Christ. We are being watched. We are being observed. And many in their spiritual bankruptcy are wondering whether, after all, the answer is in Christ. The world judges him by what it sees in us. If we give the impression that, after all, to be a Christian does not help very much when there is a crisis, they will not listen to our message or look to him. But if they find that we are entirely different from them and able to maintain a calm and balance and peace and poise and even joy in the middle of the hurricane of life, under God, that may be the means of opening their eyes and leading them to repentance and bringing them to the Lord Jesus Christ and his unsearchable riches. Would that become the reality of your life? Could we not just declare the unsearchable riches? Could we actually live them? Could we experience them? Which is a person, folks. Would you pursue him? Would you see him high and lifted up? And as such, would you get low to the ground? Would you just allow the reality of the richness of Jesus to cause endless, continual praise being uttered forth from your life? And what if there was this constant proclamation of truth that just bubbled out of you because you, you had it? Paul says, I'm the very bottom of the least of all the saints. But this grace was given to me. This privilege was given. And God's enabling allows me to proclaim to the world the unsearchable riches of Christ. Could that also be said of us in this generation? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, you are good. And your life truly is rich. Lord, thank you that there is no bottom to that reservoir. Thank you that there is no depth bottom to that well that we can plunge headlong for the rest of our lives, for the rest of eternity, and never plumb its steps. That for all eternity, we are going to experience the unfathomable richness of your life and still never come to its end. Lord, don't let us wait. Lord, could we somehow begin a pursuit, an aggressive pursuit, a diligent pursuit of you even now? Because this is all about you. Lord, could we just somehow see you high and lifted up? Could we just somehow get a taste of who you are on a whole other level? Could we just somehow experience just your life to another degree that we would just, wow, whoa, ah, that we just live in this attitude of praise. That as we go out to the world today and as we go about our lives this week, that, that somehow there would be this bubbling forth within our lives where we just, we just could not keep ourselves from praising you. That, that we just could not keep ourselves from proclaiming the unfathomable 
incredible, indescribable, incomprehensible, inexhaustible riches of your life, of the gospel, of truth. Lord, we don't just want to talk about it. We want to have it. We don't want to just esteem you. We want to experience your life. So, Lord, could you turn our gaze heavenward and would you do whatever is necessary in our lives to bring this about? Lord, for those of us who are already on the journey, oh, give us a greater hunger and passion for the pursuit. Lord, may all of us have a greater posture of humility. Lord, may the anthem of our lives be praise and adoration to you. May the proclamation of our lips be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus ever, Jesus only, Jesus always. For from you and through you and to you are all things for your glory alone. Jesus, you are worthy. We love you. Just give you the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. Know I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.